Abolition. Abolition. One of the things that we found is we traveled the state with our town home meeting and got out of the state house and went to people's homes and had town home meetings and find out what their concerns were. It was brought to our attention at the town home meeting in Cincinnati, Ohio. They said these issues are great, but what are you going to do about the exception for slavery in the Ohio Constitution? And so all of us reacted and said, wait a minute, what are you talking about? And we came back and we started looking through the Constitution. And we know that when the Constitution was originally written, African Americans did not participate in helping to write and shape the Constitution. But as we look at the Constitution and where it should go, it should be more inclusive and up-to-date with the times. And we're sad to stand here today that in our Constitution today has exceptions for slavery in our country. But the citizens of Ohio did not win. We need to correct that right now. Too many people that are in our prison systems and representative voices fighting right now to make sure that those who are in the prison systems are treated like citizens, even though they have committed the crime, they're doing their time, but should not be treated as that. And so when you look at this exception in the Constitution, it has an exception that could apply to human trafficking, it has an exception that could apply to those who are in the prison system. And so whether you're in the prison system doing your time or whether you're out and, and, and being um, attacked for human trafficking, we believe that slavery, we should have a clear message in Ohio that slavery is not allowed.
Not a member? What are you waiting for? Enroll for free today. Plus, take an extra 20% off and earn toll cash. You just heard Ohio oh. Representative Alicia Reese on constitutional slavery provision, followed by the OJs above the law. Peace and welcome to Abolition Today, a weekly syndicated online radio program with a specific focus on modern slavery as it is practiced through the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution and by for-profit prisons worldwide. We air live every Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 Central, and 4 Pacific. Live streams and archived podcasts are available at abolitiontoday.org and on all major podcast platforms. We're also streaming live in the Clubhouse app, at Abolition Today. My name is Yusuf Hassan, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Max Parthas. Peace, Max. Peace, Brother Yusuf. I'm here at the Park of the Abolitionist Center in Sumter, South Carolina, as always. So let's get it. Last week, Max and I discussed the false narratives surrounding the antebellum abolitionist efforts. To assist in that endeavor, we listened to some of Professor Manisha Sinha's lecture, Did Abolitionists Cause the Civil War? And as we found out, you know, they lied, and they always lie. And Professor Sinha cleared that up in her, her talk, and we cleared it up with other articles last week. So this week, we're dealing with the Ohio players. Uh, not that group. Not the group. You know, everyone's thinking they're going to hear, hey, you know, Sugarfoot and uh, uh, Rock Jones and Satch and all of them. No, not those Ohio players. Uh, it's the day after the Abolished Slavery National Network quarterly gathering, and we're joined by Gina Anthony Kenny of Ohio's EPIC, Ensuring Parole for Incarcerated Citizens, a nonprofit prisoner ad- rights advocacy group specializing in parole reform, fair laws, and fair treatment. At EPIC Ohio, Gina, Gina is also the lead state organizer behind Ohio Senate Joint Resolution 1 the Abolition Amendment. Gina is also the host of Kicking It with the Kennys and an ASNN state partner. We'll talk about the amazing National Quarterly Gathering and dig deep into Ohio's connection to the abolitionist movement of the and modern constitutional slavery today. We'll expose some blatant conflicts of interest within the Ohio DOC and, as always, tie it all together with powerful music mixes. So before we start that, Max, Opening track, and how was your week? Man, how are you going to be asking me a question like that about the week? You seen some of the highlights of yesterday. You was right there of with course, us, Of course, I was a witness to it. Amazing day. But the, the opening track was fire, man. Um, I love the way Alicia Reeves was talking about how it's time to let uh, the people here know through their vote that slavery is not allowed. And then in come OJs, which is a an Ohio legendary group, of course. Talking about for sure. uh, how they recreated slavery. They said recreate slavery, separate primarily by class. And that's what they're doing, race and class, right, with this new form right. of slavery. So it was fitting, I think. Uh, and that first part with Alicia Reeves, that was from 2016. This is the third time Ohio has tried to remove slavery from their state constitution. They have been banging on that bell now for several years, and it's amazing that we have gotten this far. Uh, but I don't want to get too deep into Ohio's issues until we get Gina on later uh, in a few minutes. But other than that, we also have the ASNN quarterly gathering. Uh, 
uh, which is a Herculean yes. event yes. <laughs> to get all of these you know people together who are out there working on ending slavery in their states and getting it done, and then to announce we've got four states that are already on the ballot and we ain't even done yet. We ain't even half done yet. It could be as many as nine right. by the time we're finished this year. Uh, it's only on February. Board. And it's only February, you know what I mean? So having them all there speaking, uh, we had the ancestors, descendants were there. Uh, Harriet Tubman's great-great-grandniece, Tina Wyatt, a good friend of ours, of course, who's been on the show. And also words mm-hmm. from uh, Brother Kenneth B. Uh, Moore, who is the great-great-great Morris, who is the great-great-great-grandson of both Frederick and Booker T. Washington. Uh, giving us their blessing. I thought that was awesome. And I personally believe that the poets all held it all together. Like, we really brought it all together, the poets. We opened up with Christopher Johnson, uh, poet laureate right. of Providence, Rhode Island. Uh, and he gave us a history lesson uh, of enormous power as well as a personal testimony. Um, and then Sam came in with the same thing in the middle of the program. That was Whoa, awesome. Oh, man, that was heavy. Man, everybody's asking me, how do I get that poem? I want, I want that poem. I want to hear that poem again <laughs> by Sam. So he killed it there. And then we took it out at the end, of course, with uh, To Be Continued with to myself, continued. Christopher Johnson, and Tribal Ray. So overall, it was great. Uh, we had a few technical difficulties that were out of our control. <laughs> but overall, uh, yeah, incredibly epic, powerful and a showcase of what can be done by average people on a mission to do the right thing. Yes, yes I completely agree with you on that. Uh, I was even surprised to see, not surprised, I mean, I knew he was always part of, you know, the network, but, you know, sometimes it's difficult getting people to show up at certain events because they have other events going on, but uh, Al Sharpton's brother, uh, I always forget his name, Kenneth Glasgow. Sharpton yeah, Glasgow? Yes. Yeah, he's uh, from with Alabama the campaign. Okay, Florida. Florida. He's from Alabama, I think he's doing two but states, he's isn't he? Florida campaign. Yeah. Well, he's okay. kind of pitching for Alabama, but at this point, Alabama is running real smooth, so we're leaving it alone as is. But he also got us, uh, a representative, Diane Hart, out of Florida to submit her bill. So, so Florida could be on the ballot in 2022 as well. That would be amazing right there. You know, you know, I'm not on this blue and red thing when they, when it talks about the states, but I mean, there is a huge difference between a a red state and a blue state politically, even, you know, many of the things that they enact in law. So just having, you know, many of these red states heavily involved or having heavy legislation before them to consider abolishing slavery in their states is amazing just in itself. Just the people are rising up in the South and saying, you know, we want to end constitutional slavery and the literal practice of slavery in the prisons within our states. So, you know, you just can't overlook that. So I don't want to get all talkative, you know. I want to jump right into it. So whenever you're ready to bring in uh, Gina, I'm ready. Let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, A quick bio, Gina Kenny is the co-founder and president of EPIC, which is Ensuring Parole for Incarcerated Citizens. It's a 501c3 nonprofit organization that's registered in the state of Ohio. They specialize in 
parole reconstruction, fighting for the wrongfully incarcerated, medical, medically frail incarcerated citizens, and juvenile justice initiatives. And, of course, they're also fighting hard to end the exception in their state constitution, which allows for slavery alongside uh, as partners with the ASNN. Uh, Gina is also a member of SURJ which in Ohio, which is showing up for racial justice, where they take to the streets canvassing, and they also do phone banking to help educate mostly white neighborhoods on the importance of passing Issue 24, uh, which is Police Accountability Initiative. They were able to pass this issue last year during the voting session of 21, and she's also producer and host, as we mentioned earlier, of Kicking It With The Kennys, which is a podcast about everything incarcerated. Uh, she continues to fight daily, advocating for us morally right. She's a mother of three, a wife of a juvenile lifer who is currently fighting his wrongful conviction and maintains several jobs while trying to help as many people in situations as possible. Uh, welcome to Abolition Today, Gina. Thank you, guys. What an honor it is to be here. Yeah, How are you guys It's an honor and pleasure to have you. We're doing great. Well, thank We're you, doing thank great. you, thank you. We've been looking forward to this. Uh, you, you, you know, you're For a little sure. powerhouse. Uh, as the picture shows, you ain't but you're big, you know what I mean, and a mother of three, <laughs> and dealing with juvenile lifers and husbands and all of these different things and taking out all these fights. The prison wives, too. Let's not forget about them because they're the worst right. to deal with sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, 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 so I <laughs> but, yeah, but, I mean, let's it. be real. It's just, it's, it's, it's a tragedy all in one, no matter which way you look at it, no matter the circumstances you're facing, whether you're guilty, you're wrongfully incarcerated or overly sentenced, it's just morally wrong. Um, and it's time for us as people who are, you know, footing the bill of these, prisons and the cost of you know the salaries for these people that are making big bucks to finally put our foot down and say that enough is enough no longer no more will we tolerate this um you know over here in ohio we're 130 percent over capacity in the prisons and they're out here every day you look at odrc's uh their little facebook page they're begging and pleading for people to come to these hiring events um, we'll pay you this, we'll pay you that, top dollars, right? Because they're understaffed, but let's keep it real. We're overpopulated. What are we going to do about it, guys? Um, I'm, I'm with you on that. There's some big problems in Ohio. I've been there a couple times myself talking about them. Let me ask you, you heard the opening track, of course. Uh, were you also working on this during that period where Alicia Reeves uh, was championing it? That was the first time. I'm almost positive. Am I right? Uh, if so, it, we were not. Um, the second time was kind of like it is right now, where it was kind of just hush-hush. There weren't too many representatives. You know, even, you know, the second time it didn't get very far. It just died. Um, so this is our second rodeo, their third time. Ohio's third time, Epic's second rodeo on trying to, you know, educate, empower, and try to get this thing moving. So. And, um the, both occasions previously, it never even made it to the voters. And the reason was that is because they keep killing it in the committees. They either uh, refuse to vote or just let the time lapse or don't uh, schedule it for hearing. So we've seen this happen in many states now where just whoever is the chairman of the committee gets to be like the little emperor and they can decide which bills go and which bills don't based on what they think. Uh, which is terrible. Um, 
Well, absolute power corrupts absolutely. So. Mm. Say it again. <laughs> absolute power corrupts absolutely. So when we have those people sitting at the top, those are the ones we need to keep our eyes on. And Max, you know damn good, good and well that the last month or two or even three, I've been saying, you know, we've been so patient waiting for this third hearing, which is a hearing that should be rightfully so um, scheduled because, I mean, no offense, we, I mean, we don't really care what they say, right? But the proponents have every right to speak upon it if they choose to. You can't just hear one side and not the other. So a third hearing is a must, if you ask me. Now, the third hearing, it could be voted on or it can go off to a fourth hearing, right? But that third hearing should have been a priority. And, you know, we testified months ago for our, you know, our, our um, I mean, you know, the opponent hearing. Mm-hmm. The third hearing, the op- opponent hearing should be a must. We've already, you know, had our say. Now they should have a say. And then if they decide to let the bill die, let the bill die. But they're not even letting them have a chance to speak, which <laughs> goes to show problem. that you're not giving citizens the opportunity to speak up on matters that are morally right. What they're looking for now are proponents of slavery to speak on behalf of why they should not pass this bill. And they have another problem finding that, I can imagine, a proponent of slavery. Uh, they asked when we, we did the hearings on for the uh, for those for ending slavery, um, they asked if anybody was there against it at that time, and they couldn't get a single hand to raise in uh, right. protest of ending slavery. Uh, I believe I, and I we've been solved that. that day. You did? Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. you did. Um, so, yeah, so, so, and it's six months. Uh, we were told to kind of leave Chair Manning alone. He would, um, you know, our senator that's, you know, sponsored SJR1, Senator Cecil Thomas, you know, we've been doing what he's asked, but at this point, um, when you're stalled for so long, you know, delayed justice is justice delayed, de- you know, de- justice denied, it's time to do something. Mm-hmm. Uh, Max knows that here in Ohio, I've been extremely patient. Um, you know, most of this work with SJR1 and helping Senator Cecil Thomas and with the Abolish Slavery National Network, like it's really solely been just me. You know, unfortunately, we haven't had my whole team on the table letting them do what they can. It's been just me and it's been very hard because we here in Ohio are the red state and we I feel that it's the Alabama up north you know like it's just it's Mm -hmm. crazy because here you know and the problem is as Max said it's stalling right the bill is just sitting we're waiting and it is because Ohio senators um, are basically it's like a will and deal state it's like you sign on to this and I'll sign on to that and we have proof of that. And I was glad that I was able to bring Max to the table when we did our work with Senator Cecil Thomas. We've had a couple of Zooms with him. Um, you know, we plan on having a town hall with him to better educate people. But I was more hopeful last year that we would be able to get this through this year. And, like, now it's February, right? I'm starting to lose hope. But I'm remaining positive, right? Because, like I told Max, I promised him I, I will – keep fighting until Ohio finally ends the exception clause, not just here in Ohio, but across the nation here in the United States. But well, it's sad. This, it's sad that we, the people, don't you. have the power. Okay. It's, it, um, I was asked earlier today, as a matter of fact, some people in Ohio want to lend their assistance. So how would they contact you if you, know, you need to? Um, they, if you can would, email yeah. me at epic, E-P-I-C, the letter X. And then team, T-E-A-M, at, or I'm sorry, T-E-A-M 2020 at gmail.com. Um, that's email. 
Um, if you're friends with Max or Max on Facebook or Yusuf, you can easily find me on there. Um, you can find us on Twitter um, or Instagram at the, you know, little whatever symbol they use, and then Epic in Ohio. Uh, we're everywhere. Just, you know, find us. Uh, www.epicxteam.org is our website. There's easy contact us on there as well. By any, by any means you have to, just please reach out to us because we definitely need help for this initiative. Uh, we need help for, for sure uh, because what we're dealing with is a gag rule. That's what's traditionally mm-hmm. called. <clears throat> and it was used against <clears throat> excuse me, slavery before in the antebellum period. I've got an article here where it says that in um, May of 1836, the House passed a resolution that automatically tabled or postponed action on all petitions relating to slavery without hearing them. Stricter versions of this gag rule passed in succeeding Congresses. At first, only a small group of congressmen led by Representative John Quincy Adams of Massachusetts opposed the rule, and Adams used a variety of parliamentary tactics to try to read slavery petitions on the floor of the House, but each time he fell, fell victim to the rule. That's what we're dealing with right now. They just put it down and said, we ain't going to touch it. It's our potato. We'd rather talk about CRT. <laughs> right. And that's the thing. When you look at their policy and procedures that they have right now on the table, it's like, what makes this more important than this? Right. Uh, we're talking about a crime against humanity, right. which uh, they apparently don't get, or maybe they do get and don't care. I remember in the hearing for Ohio, I believe they said that under death penalty, because they had a death penalty hearing that day too, didn't they? About uh, They did. Yeah, they said that. Mm-hmm. In, their death penalties, they had one out of 11 people, I think it was, were innocent. So one in 11 people mm-hmm. they were killing with it was innocent. Uh, that's the type of environment that they're dealing with. And, of course, with the police and the brutality there, like Tamir Rice immediately should come to my mind right off the bat. But they've been investigated twice by the Department of Justice, found these patterns and practices of brutality and murder and violating people's constitutional rights, and nothing has come from it. Uh, That's why shout out, shout out to issue 24, because finally we do, and it's not perfect, but it's some relief. Uh, I just want to say real quick, issue 24 is for Cleveland only. um, And it's a real police accountability bill where it's actually putting an oversight committee into the civilians um, power. So it's no longer their dissent discreet that they try, you know, that they try with the DOJ investigation. This is actually going to be a, it's already been a thought out civilian oversight, you know, there's going to be three uh, three different clubs from the police department, um, you know, a wrongfully incarcerated person, you know, there's going to be different people sitting on this committee, which is what we need. We need oversight. Every state agency needs oversight outside of their agency, period. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. They need I mean, here in Ohio, involved. let me not speak for every state, because, you know, every state's for its own, but here in Ohio, for sure. I mean, DRC needs oversight outside of DRC. Our governor needs oversight outside the government. Like, it's it's insane what's going on in Ohio right now, and it's sad. It's very sad. Uh, and there's a story of corruption that we want to share today, too. Uh, let's tell this story. Yeah. Uh, you tell it to us, and then we're going to go into a music track after that. So what we want to hear about, tell us a little bit about Annette Chambers. <laughs> Annette Chambers-Smith. So Annette Chambers-Smith was appointed in 2018 
uh, as the Ohio Department of Rehabilitation and Corrections prison director. She is formally the COO of JPay, which is obviously a huge communication, uh, billion-dollar profit mingled in with the in prison industry, you know, industry, um, making profit off of not just the uh, incarcerated but their families as well. Um, right then and there, that's a conflict of interest, but not only was she COO for JPay, she was also uh, pay, uh, in payment management as well. So she knows the numbers. Right. She knows what she's doing. She's been our prison director for years now. Not, not, a, not a bit of depopulation has happened. Our parole rates are still sickening. And um, we have people just, you know, dying in prison that should have been home 20, 30 years ago. We have four laws in our system. Anyone sentenced before 96, um, they're basically held hostage because of the law that they're convicted under. They were sentenced 10 years of life. They've been in every bit 30, 40, 50 years. For nature of crime, something that will never go away from the director because she controls the parole board. She appoints yeah. the parole board members. They're all people of ODRC. Right. Yeah, the, the blatant conflict of interest is a problem. You're talking about the director of the Department of Rehabilitation and Correction was formerly the chief operating officer for JPEG. And JPay is that uh, extortionist company that is so huge in prisons all across the country where they even have their own credit cards. And when family members try to put money on your books and stuff like that, those are the people that take out like 25% of it. It's them mm -hmm. that's doing it. They manage the phone calls, uh, communications, all of that. So this is a huge financial institution that's built on prisons and can only make money if the prisons are filled and growing. And now she runs the entire prison industry. That is crazy right Correct. Now. Yeah, Absolutely. that's how you get the no-bid contracts. That's and I'm exactly glad we're talking about this because recently we just signed a uh, contract with GTL. So we're switching from JPay. And I believe, I believe, and I hate to even say this in conceitfulness, but um, I believe that it's because of me exposing the fact that she was a part of JPay. Many people don't know that. And right, right mm -hmm. off rip, you should, you should know that's a conflict of interest. How did Governor DeWine appoint her as a prison director? Because he himself knows as well, he's got his hands filled inside these prisons as well. He was a former prosecutor, for crying out loud. He knows what he's doing. You know what I'm saying? So, and, sure. and actually, sure. I just shared an article yesterday. I don't know if you guys can pull it up real quick, but he right now is in contempt of court um, over the redistrict, redistricting maps here in Ohio. And Justice um, O'Connor um, basically postponed their contempt of court hearing for now, and and we don't know exactly why or what. But yeah, it's 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 now another huge corruption in itself going on here in Ohio. How do people not realize, like, all of this mingles in together? Right. We're the ones suffering it from it. It's a huge system. Exactly. And it's built on race and class. But not everybody's against us. We've got some powerful allies. As a matter of fact, we're going to hear from one of them right now, Senator Cecil Thomas, uh, who is a sponsor for HJR1, uh, which is the slavery abolition bill for Ohio. Correction. It's SJR1. Sorry. Yeah. HJR1. It's SJR1. Oh, okay, Senate, not House. Okay, yeah. Senate yes. Joint Resolution 1. 
Uh, and then that's going to be followed by Solomon Burke, None of Us Are Free. You're listening to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org with Yusuf Hassan, Max Parthas, and today our guest is Gina Kenny. We'll be right back after this. After this. Abolition, Abolition Today. Abolition. Hi, I'm State Senator Cecil Thomas from Ohio's 9th Senate District. Last year, I introduced Senate Joint Resolution 1, which will remove an exception to slavery and involuntary servitude in our state constitution. No one in the state of Ohio should be labeled a slave, even if they have been convicted of a crime. The Ohio Constitution is a document that forms the basis of our moral values as a state and is a guide for taking those values and turning them into laws. Simply put, I do not believe that slavery or involuntary servitude is something any of us value as Ohioans, and it is why I believe the exception should be removed. SJR1 is currently in Judiciary Committee. We have had two hearings so far. The first was my opportunity to explain to the committee why we should pass the resolution. The second was for proponents to submit their testimony. I have been working with the chair to get additional hearings and to bring it to the floor of the Senate. Discussions can be tough and slow going, but we're going to keep working on this until we get it done. I also want to thank all of you for your work around the country in trying to make it a better place for all of us. Well, you better listen, my sisters and brothers, because if you do, you can hear their voices still calling across the years. And they're all crying across the ocean. And they're crying across the land And they will too We all come to understand None of us are free None of us are free None of us are free One of us has changed None of us are free And there are people Still in darkness And they just can't see the light if you don't say it's wrong, then that says it's right. We got to try to feel for each other. Let our brothers know that we care. Got to get the message. Send it out loud and clear. None of us are free. None of us are free. None of us are free. One of us are changed.
Cause the world is getting smaller each passing day. Passing day. Now it's time to start making changes. And it's time for us all to realize that the truth is shining bright right before our eyes. None of us are free. None of us are free. None of us are free. One of us has changed. None of us are free. I never get tired of hearing that song. Uh, You just listened to State Senator Cecil Thomas speaking on SJR1 and also addressing the ASNN, followed by Solomon Burke. None of us are free. Welcome back to Abolition Today with Max Parthas and Yusuf Hassan and our guest for this evening, Gina Kinney. So uh, I did a little research while the song was playing, and I was able to come across that article you were talking about, Gina, about uh, Ohio Supreme Court Justice Pat DeWine having to recuse himself because his father being ordered to court on redistricting failures. Yes, yes. And then yesterday, um, I guess there was supposed to be some type of a court hearing. If you go on um, actually, I'll send it to you really quick so you can pull it up. But, yeah, it's it's just absolutely disgusting, and people just need to start paying attention, you know. And um, if we don't, we're in for a rude awakening because, you know, we're supposed to be – it's supposed to be we the people, and it's they the government against us. And if we continue to keep letting them push in these bills that we're not paying attention and then letting these bills that mean everything die – you know, we're never going to get anywhere with any type of normalcy here in Ohio at all. Um, here, I'm going to send that link to you now, though. Okay, and then I came across an article last week. Oh, I'm sorry, Max. I uh, forgot well, to pass well, the mic to you. I, I, I was going to get some comments from around what we just heard. Uh, Senator Cecil Thomas, who provided that speech to us for yesterday's event, uh, which Gina was heavily involved in on the production level, a uh, major effort that she did to pull that all together. Um, any comments that you want to make on uh, your spokesperson there? On Cecil Thomas? Yes. Uh, Senator, Cecil, yeah, Senator Cecil Thomas, even before this initiative and this movement, um, I feel that um, he's always been for the people. Um, you know, he values what we feel Um, And what we say, and he takes it, you know, within his work, Uh, which was why I was really, really 
thankful when I seen SJR5, which was the last go around, um, the last General Assembly, um, because, you know, even back then he said he wanted Ohio to be the trailblazers, right? And even this go around and being able to meet with him, you know, via Zooms and even his aide, um, just knowing, like, that he has that same mindset we do about this, right? He is doing whatever it takes. He will continue to keep introducing this legislation until we finally end the exception. How long it may take us, God only knows, but we're hoping that it is sooner than later. But Cecil Senator Thomas, uh, Senator Cecil Thomas is just absolutely amazing, and he's definitely for the people. Um, and he's one of the best um, people that we have actually sitting in the state house. And I wish that everybody was like him, but unfortunately they're not. We've seen last year we had opposition from those that sit in there that they were clear as day racist. You know, they claim that slavery was abolished, that slavery isn't brewing or, you know, and, and, and no offense, but Kali got red-faced and angry, and you've seen it. And, and this is the type of people that he himself is having to sit and go up against, you know. And it's it's been a will-a-deal situation for him. You know, he even told us that, you know, he, he, it was brought to him another bill. If you sign this, I'll put a hearing up for that third hearing we've been waiting on, right? It shouldn't be about that. This isn't, um, this isn't a football that we just toss around and see who's going to catch it. No, we need this to go on the ballot and let the people of Ohio, the Ohioans, decide, right? I wish Great. that our legislators were like the Vermont legislators, Max. Uh, remember when they said, well, 43% were non-Vermontians, right? right? Well, I wish Ohio cared whether or not, you know, what the people of Ohio said. Like, Vermont obviously cares how many are stepping up to the plate for them, right? Mm -hmm. um, but right. we're all trying to do this across the states, and we all just need to pull together. Yusuf, I did Facebook message you that dispatch story. Um, it's the Ohio Supreme Court postpones contempt hearing with Governor DeWine, Secretary of State. Okay, I have it. Who was the chairman for the committee uh, involved in SJR1? Senator Manning, uh, which is Senator Nathan Manning, which before this uh, movement, I actually thought he was another stand-up guy as well. But like I said, when you're just when you're at that top, I guess you know all that stuff doesn't matter anymore. When once you get there, it's just about power. Well, I'm going to see if I can find his contact information so you guys can listening now can send him a mail, an email saying get this thing, uh, send a joint resolution one. Uh, let's finish these hearings and let it move forward. Uh, so send them as much mail as you can. All right. You want to talk about the Absolutely. No, I was just uh, really confirming her story. You know, she had mentioned it, and, you know, anytime we have a guest on and they mention things, we make sure that we put uh -huh. the article up so they have yeah. an opportunity to review it. So we found it. We put the information, both uh, the one about uh, Pat DeWine and the Governor DeWine, DeWine and also about the contempt hearing. So that's up. Uh, I wanted to mention a story that uh, Gianna – yeah, there I go again. <laughs> I thought I was going to make while, it for right? the episode. You got, you've been doing great. You're good. <laughs> Gina, <laughs> uh, about Isaiah Andrews. And when I came across the story, you know, it just it just hurt me. 
you know, 84-year-old man exonerated after 46 years in prison, sues Cleveland for withholding evidence in wife's murder case. Uh, for those that aren't I'm familiar with it. I'm actually sitting in the rehab right now that he is being homed at right now because he's got some health uh, issues. But I'm sitting in the in the nursing home he's at right now doing this interview with you guys because that's how near that. and dear this man is to me. Send our best to him for sure. 46 years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. And on top of that, they had evidence that would have freed him at the time, you know, that they just withheld. And on top of that, even – when when the courts uh, granted him a new trial, the state went on and tried to prosecute him again, even though they had uh, most of their witnesses had already uh, passed away and they lost a lot of the evidence. And they still tried to take they, – they not tried, but they took him to trial again. And thankfully, the jury unanimously acquitted him. So uh, any – any information you want to tell us about that or the dealings of the Ohio Innocence Project that were involved? Uh, the Ohio Innocence Project is great. <clears throat> it's just unfortunate because they're just very overwhelmed. Um, honestly, they just take cases that specifically deal with DNA. Um, fortunately for, and, uh, for Isaiah Andrews, though, um, back in 2017, they had found information that there was already a man that was arrested for this crime of, of his wife. Like this wasn't just someone that he didn't know or something that he just wasn't a part of altogether. Like this was a crime that took place against his wife. Okay. Right. And um, they had already arrested someone and, you know, for obviously 40 plus years, he never knew that they arrested somebody. So that's initially what got his case going. Oh. Um, but it's crazy. I sat in the courtroom for his trial, and it was just absolutely insane. Um, I've never been in a, a trial uh, transcript, red-type setting. It was just absolutely ridiculous. I felt like I was in storytelling. Um, mm -hmm. It it was devastating. Um, the prosecutor that – or actually, the, the visiting judge that retried him, you know, we, he had every right to dismiss the charges, and he chose not to. He, he chose to retry Isaiah. And you guys, if you look up Isaiah Andrews, you'll see the condition that he was in. He was in a wheelchair. He's malnourished. Like, why would you even put him through that again? You have no evidence at all against him other than some hearsay of some people that have passed away now. Uh, but they tried everything they could. They went as far as even getting an FBI agent who traveled to Canada and other states to try and get information to reconvict Isaiah. And they had no evidence. And poor Isaiah, you know, he's been going through some health issues. God bless his heart. Um, I actually just went and gathered some funds. We went and got him a, a touchscreen laptop um, just to try, because, you know, there's some things that he wants to research, some things that he wants to do. And, and just, you know, him being in this nursing home, I truly feel that being in a nursing home is like being in prison. I mean, mm. it's just, it's it's sad. It's really, it's really sad. You know, he's 80, 84, 85 years old. Um, actually, I was just setting up his laptop, and he was like, maybe it's not accepting my year of my birth because I'm not supposed to be on a laptop. You know, that's sad. <laughs> you know, coming out right. of prison after 46 years, how 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 much patience do you think he's really going to have with this laptop? We don't know, but we're going to figure it out. Because I want to make sure that no matter the time that we still have with Isaiah, as a free man now, he deserves everything the utmost respect um you know he he deserves to live life the fullest he can i just want to make sure that he's comfortable and he's able to do whatever it is he can do 
Yeah, um, he should. Uh, what they try to do is, to that man for is, real? Is there a compensation for the wrongfully convicted in Ohio? He just recently, um, they just recently filed for his civil lawsuit um, just within well, the last couple of weeks. Yeah, we they have to sue the state, sue the city. It's a process. Um, some of these um, exonerees here are still waiting on compensation. Actually, one just finally got paid after like 15 years of being home. So you get so, out 84, and, and then you got to wait 15 years to get paid. So you're 94 years old. You may not make it that long. That's well, fortunately that for Isaiah, I'm hoping and praying that they push his right through just considering the circumstances. But even so, he's 84 years old. How much, you know what I mean? How much living life does he really have in him to be able to enjoy that compensation? They've already stole his whole entire life from him for the, no uh, good the reason. Attorney, the attorney, Brian Howe, said that I can't think of another more egregious case of covering up evidence of innocence in any case I've worked on. That's how bad it was. And it, it, make it even worse was that it was his wife that they accused him of killing. The woman mm-hmm. he loved, his wife, is the one that they accused him of. So he spent 46 years as an accused of killing his wife, meant to die in prison, and now to find out that they this was all railroaded. It was all corruption. And I'm going to throw this out there. He even was a, you know, he was even a Lucasville riot. He was incarcerated back during all that. He experienced all of that as well. Man, all of that. Wow. And that's huge. Yeah, that is terrible. Um, all right, let's bring it back to a little something a little bit more positive. Uh, yesterday, the ASNN quarterly, as I said, you had to play a big role in it, making sure everything ran smooth through the new services that we were using. Uh, was there any favorite points for you, uh, that anything that stood out for you? The poets. I mean, Sam uh, Sam Brown and Christopher, they, they did their thing for sure. Um, hmm. they, just, just the way they were just speaking, just the knowledge and the power and the, the truth, you know, like I had, I had goosebumps the entire time both of them were on screen. Um, all of the uh, all of the speakers, every one of them were very powerful, um, you know. And I really hope that not just you know for our sake here in Ohio, but for everyone's sake, that there are more people that do decide to reach out to us because this work can't just be done by just one person, one organization. This is this is going to take a unified collaboration. And I'm just so thankful and honest or honored and blessed to be a part of Abolish Slavery National Network. You know, we've been alongside with you guys for the last couple of years, and it's one organization that I, I, I've definitely grown to love and support, um, and we're just happy to be partnered with you guys. Um, and yesterday, uh, yeah, I did. I, pro- I helped them produce the stream. Um, there were a few technical difficulties, but overall, I feel it was extremely powerful, and educa- um, education was yeah. just fabulous yeah we had some some technical difficulties but mainly that's because people don't show up for mic checks <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, you're supposed to be there for the mic check man <laughs> but and if you don't show up for the mic check you might not know you on mute or something like that you know or that your connection is bad or whatever it may be but that is all part of the struggle of bringing these disparate individuals from all over the country together on one occasion via video uh, to uh, talk to the public on behalf of their states and collectively, and to show the strength of how 
how far this thing has gone. It's just so amazing. I really wish it was getting a lot more press than it is. Uh, I feel like they've been silencing us on purpose for a very long time now, so I don't really expect the press to just suddenly jump all over us. But independent media and small media has been giving us some love more and more. But this is something that's going to make the history books undoubtedly. It's, It's already guaranteed to be there. You just don't change state constitutions or submit bills to change state constitutions and success and all across the country like that without it being memorable, <laughs> you know? So well, you, I right. feel our testimonies, even just not, you know, with Vermont, you know, every time you and I and everyone else has showed up to at least provide some type of testimony is being a part of his, historic history yeah. from the get-go. You know what I'm saying? Like each time we do it, it's more and more about being a part of history, not just in our own state, but for our, you know, for our partners, you know, we just have to stand together and bond together and stay unified and, and not let anyone come in between to Detroit because together we rise and together we're stronger. Isn't that what the song said? None of us are yep. free. If one of us is chained, none of us are free. You can't be free in Ohio and not in Louisiana. It's the same country. Amen. It just doesn't work that way. Exactly. Uh, so we have got this. Wipe it out all the way across the board. And like, I'm with Yusuf. I don't like the red and blue stuff. I'm totally, I don't like the, I feel like the more we categorize people and we label people, we're never going to get unity. We're never going to get equality. Like the more we keep labeling and putting people in categories, there's no of all of us just being human beings living life, right? Um, the red and the blue stuff, I wish we could do away with it. I know it's long in history. It's been going on forever, but I do feel like that's the division and what's doing what's right is because it's, if it's not a Republican thing or if it's not a Democrat thing, it just doesn't happen. It shouldn't be that way. Well, Who I, has I, the power? I, would have to, I have to quote Voltaire's older, more militant brother when he said, uh, I will fight to the death for your right of free speech, except when you're talking about killing me. And then all belt bets are off. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Gone somewhere else talking so, about it. Yeah, exactly. So I, I, I'd like to switch back a little bit to the prisons in Ohio, and especially the private prisons that's going on there. Uh, I believe there are three, Lake Erie, Cor- North Central, and Northeast Ohio. Am I correct? You are correct. Okay, mm-hmm. and I know there was an announcement by President Biden last year about uh, ending the contracts with the privately owned prisons. Right. It, um, oh, I don't so, think Ohio's done anything about it, though, honestly, because they're still sitting as private prisons. Now, Youngstown, which is north uh, north central, is actually half private, half state. Really? Within the same facility? Yes. Yes. Actually, when we we did, uh, Epic did a tour of We Will Not Be Silenced rallies when COVID hit, basically going out Mm -hmm. to the communities to um, raise awareness that, you know, COVID wasn't going away until we addressed the prisons. You know, everyone wanted to put the prisons and the nursing homes underneath the radar. Um, But let's be honest, these people are coming into these institutions um, that are breeding grounds and going back out. Um, And we wanted the communities to know that these prisons were sitting in that, you know, COVID, these people are coming out, going shopping in your community, then going to their community, like that's spreading, right? When we went to North Central, they actually called the the sheriffs on us because we were out there protesting. And there was like three of them. I mean, they came flying at like 90 miles an hour 
like we were trying to get on prison grounds. We weren't even on prison property or anything. We were literally on, on a different property that we had permission to be at. And she's like, well, this is a private prison, too, so they can't be here. We are not on your your property. But it was just so crazy to me that they literally sat. So I don't know if she was the warden, but some woman literally sat on the guardrail for two hours while we were out there until we left and packed up and then walked back down the long road to get back to the prison. Hey, Gina. And so um, she had to be like that because it was federal. Gina, I, I want to check with you before we move further on. You know, we have a two-hour broadcast and you are welcome to spend the entire program with us. Many guests do that uh, and talk about the issues and stories as we go through and listen to the music. But if you only have the one hour, uh, we will understand. So if that's the case, I'd like to give you some time to uh, bring the people's attention to anything you want them to hear about. Will you be staying with us, or do you have to go after an hour? I mean, I'm okay to hang out. If you guys have time for me, I have time for y'all. <laughs> oh, okay. cool, awesome. cool. Awesome. So good. There you go, you there we go. Yeah, in the second hour, we, we we turned it up even more in the second hour. <laughs> but, you know, uh, since your husband is incarcerated, you know, that, that just drew my attention to the forced labor that goes on in prisons. I mean, this is why we're here, part of it, right. you know, with the slavery that goes on in the prisons. So uh, I'm just curious about any of the stories that he's told you about forced labor uh, I posted a link on our page about the different industries that go on within Ohio prisons. It's called Ohio Penal Industries. So any information that you have about that, please share it with us. Um, so my husband actually hasn't had a job for quite some time. However, he is labeled that he's a janitor because, you know, they get state pay. So every one of them have to have a quote-unquote job title. Um he hasn't, I know he has had past like porter, you know, porter, janitor, little jobs here and there, but now that he's in a level three because of his crime that he's convicted of and his charges or his length of sentence, he's not able to get a job where he's at. Um, actually, he's mm-hmm. transitioning from a level three to a level two within the next 24 hours, so I'm pretty excited because we haven't been in a level two yet. So I'm hoping that their helmet he may be able to, because this is a thing with us yes we understand that it's forced labor but in his mind it's a little different just because it's a way for him to pass through time because he is coming home soon right um at trumbull i know that like even in ohio prisons period with opi if they don't they're the same way if they don't go to work they get penalized for it um the penalty i couldn't tell you i'm sure it's probably visit restrictions or they they could lose their job or whatever but just like anywhere else, um, they are forced a job. They're given they're giving the choice to work or not in the in the beginning, I guess you could say. Like my husband, they can't just wake my husband up and be like, Okay, you're a port you're gonna be a porter. You know what I'm saying? But there is labor going mm-hmm. on in our prisons. They are being paid. My husband gets paid seventeen seventeen dollars a month. Um, and then I believe they can make they're up to 32. But let's be real. What's $32 a month when their toothpaste costs seven bucks? You know, right. they should be afforded um, a livable wage. And, and I don't I don't care who says they're incarcerated. No, they shouldn't. They should because they should be able to still provide at home for their children, especially if they have children, they have wives. They leave, they leave a family, right? They should still be able to provide for them even though they're still doing their time for their crime. And with $32 a month, you can't even send a penny home. 
phone calls, exactly. they're expensive. JPay is expensive. Putting money on their commissary is expensive. All of these things cost so much money. And like Max had said earlier, like the fees are even more outrageous. Why are we paying fees? You're absolutely right. And everything you said was like the perfect segue into something that I want to get into after we take a music break, Max. Yeah, but I want to give a quick intro to the music break because um, we're going to be both educational and inspirational at the same time with our music break today. Uh, you know, what did you call Ohio in regards to the South, Sheena? Uh, Alabama up north. The Alabama mm. up north. <laughs> Um, because, I sure you know, did. Right, Another great uh, segue. <laughs> there's a whole lot of indoctrination going on in states like that, uh, throughout the South, Ohio, places like that, uh, where, as Malcolm said, if you're not careful, the newspapers will have you loving the oppressed people, being the people oppressing and hating the ones being oppressed. And that tends to be the scenario we see. Uh, so we're going to play a little clip from a film called The Negro and the South from 1965, narrated by Ossie Davis. And then we're going to give you a nice treat with a song that just came out a couple of days ago by Brother Locksmith called Let Me Breathe. You're listening to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org with Max Parthas, Yusuf Son, and our guest today, Gina Kenny. We'll be right back after this track. Abolition. In 1895, Booker T. Washington declared, In all things that are purely social, we can be as separate as the fingers, yet one as the hand, and all things essential to mutual progress. By the end of the century, segregation was complete. The New South rose out of the ashes of the old, and the good nigger was the one who once again knew his place. But as a, as, a, as a rule, they are a very happy people. They, uh, a large percent of them do not worry uh, because they know that they're going to be taken care of. I've had a number number of them to remark to me that, uh, well, they know Mr. Brown or Mr. Jones, Mr. Smith's going to take care of us. They know that. Uh, they know that they're not going hungry. And... Uh, they're not going to need for clothes as long as they'll work and do halfway right. They know that they're going to be taken care of. So they have no worries. White folks were so good to me to when I got sick and disabled to work, to just come in and bring me something to eat, clothes, and everything. Fed me, clothed me, and I had a house full of children, and they fed my children. Yes, sir. I've been working all of my life, and the white folks raised me. Mr. I tell you the truth, I don't know what in the world I'd do without white folks. Now that's the truth. And Mr. I'm just a white folks nigger. I'm a nigger and all of my children's a nigger. And all this community in here of Mississippi recognize, appreciate and work for the white folks. He's not the nigger is not a part of my family. As a result, I don't elect to have him sit and eat with me. As a result, I don't like to have him belong to a club that I may belong to. I, I don't elect to... Be for Judge Obar, as for most Southern whites, out of the past has come a philosophy he called the Southern way of life. The Negro and his place 
is at the heart of it. This is the way it has been. It's the history of the South. It's because we've been brought up like this. We have been taught like this. And we teach our children like this. And they'll teach their children like that. I think it is a matter that has been history all down through the years and will remain history. Question the press, question the laws. Question religion, question it all. The black of the berry, the tight of the noose. That's not a chip on my shoulder, that's your boot. Let me breathe. Let me breathe. The black of the berry, the tight of the noose. That's not a chip on my shoulder, that's your boot. Let me breathe. I am a man, I am not property. I understand this ain't democracy. They went from nukes to knees. We refugees in our own communities. Black bodies swinging from poplar trees. Tell Uncle Sam this meritocracy is sprinkled in despair. If you spare a moment, you'll spot the lead. They control through modern slave patrols. Antebellum institutions passed off as cops you see. White values, white Jesus, white collar crimes disseminating deceivers. Black masculinity literally seems egregious. For me, us, the niggas on corners cuffed in police trucks. your boot let me breathe let it breathe like the breeze of the slave ship overthrow the captain and beat his ass with the same whip navigate this vessel to settle a different colony while building with the natives the nature to live in harmony instead of fuel for saws reverse the tone instead of fixing problems abroad do it at home instead of beating niggas for nickels and draw pistols reprimand the army commanders that let it trickle down to the project down to the pirates potting all the niggas that cook it put it in context Oppressors know it, give us the drugs to turn around and arrest you for That's why I reject the institutions, neglect the ones oppressing, you'll never find a solution. You don't find it online and what these kids mock, it's time to let it all out through hip hop. Question the facts, question the laws, question religion, question it all. The black and the berry, the tight of the noose, that's not a chip on my shoulder, that's your boot. Let me breathe. Well, there you have it. The Negro in the South, 1985, or 1965, is narrated by Ozzie Davis, and that was followed by Locksmith. Let me breathe. So I'll pass it to you first, Gina. Uh, How do you (laughs) think of the track? Yeah, I'm trying so awesome. hard not to mess up. <laughs> no, you're okay. I just think it's so funny. I could just picture in front of you a, a picture that says J-E-A-N and then a dash and N-A. Because <laughs> when people ask me my name, I always tell them, see, it's different when people ask me because I'm like Gina with a J because then it sticks, you know, and they go like, wait, what was her name? Wait, it was something weird, you know? Uh, so, yeah. Right. Um, I thought that was pretty awesome, though. Like I said, it's, it's fitting. 
it's fitting for the cause, that's for sure. Yeah. Crazy they, uh, you guys are putting out all these tracks. Like, I'm not a big music head, and I just think it's so awesome. That's why when Max was like, we're looking for Ohio producers, I'm like, I don't know very many, but hold on a minute. <laughs> yeah, we, we'll play stuff throughout the year on, you know, all different issues and stuff. Uh, but this one, we like to mix together educational with inspirational. So the music will follow up with the clips or however we put it together. In this particular one, as we were talking about, uh, indoctrination, being led to believe certain things, like the happy, what did he say as a rule, the happy people, and they know they'll be taken care of as long as they're good Negroes, and they do the right thing, and they work, and they'll have no worries. Uh, and I remember the, the one sister there who probably had been enslaved at one point of her life, uh, talk about how she was the white man's nigger, and so was her children, and she wouldn't know what to do without them. But there's a video. And, and she was all good with that. Yeah, there's mm-hmm. a video with that mm-hmm. film, and if you watch the video, you'll see the house she lived in, this shack, ramshackle shack, with uh, just in terrible condition, with flies all over her children's faces, and the food and everything like that. So when you've got somebody with nothing, somebody who's giving them something is, of course, their savior, and that's how you become, uh, you indoctrinate them into believing that they need you because you're keeping them out from everything else. Uh, but right. And so they become dependent on you, and it helps to take over people's minds. Just terrible. Yeah, and that's how a lot of these modern-day relationships are going, Max. Like, you're just, like, spitting some now. Like, that's kind of how just relationships nowadays, like, it's kind of like relationships nowadays have kind of gone more to, you know, back in the day, they used to be like, oh, well, women couldn't work and this, that, and the other, and they had to take care of the house. But I think some relationships are kind of more like slavery than anything. Honestly, just because mm. of the way you just put it. For real. They're just comfortable. Um, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, and oppressed. They just wouldn't have known what to do without it. That's what it always like, comes down to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're right in comparison to that. Um, Oppressive and, and the oppressed. If you look at the records in Ohio, uh, right, somebody might want to check this out. Look at the records in Ohio and see where the majority of the inmates are coming from. I bet you that it is coming from minority communities primarily, probably as much as 50 to 70% of all the prisoners in Ohio likely mm-hmm. only come from three or four counties at most. Right. Oh, yeah, Cleveland, for sure. Hamilton, Toledo. Franklin, and Cleveland. Yeah. Uh-huh. Those would be the first top three, then Toledo. We got, they say, say there's five prime, uh, five, five prime counties here. Uh, Toledo, Cuyahoga, Hamilton, Franklin, and hang on, Cincinnati. What's in uh, Cincinnati down there somewhere? Uh, but yeah, it's 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 insane, and it's so it's see. the truth. It's from poor, poverty type neighborhoods. I it's mean, shit, Cleveland's like the poorest Columbus. city there is in Ohio. I live in Cleveland. My kids are in a Cleveland public school district, and they've actually come a long way over these last couple years over some certain issues, but. Um, it's, it's, there's nothing for them. We don't have sports. We don't have clubs. They don't have boys and girls clubs. They don't have these church, you know, churches used to have these little children's groups. When you don't give our youth anything to do, what do you expect them to do that besides to end up on the streets looking for love? Um, ODRC, when they started doing this whole juvenile initiative and trying to pass a bill, um, they didn't know how many people were incarcerated since juvenile. They don't have that database. We out here had to put that database together. 
I actually started to help Ohio Public Defender's Office in creating that database because my organization alone at the time had, and it was just the beginning of our work, uh, about 25 to 30. And lo and behold, there's at least 600 of them. And we just found this out because now, you know, we had a juvenile bill that passed, but even with that juvenile bill, it means nothing until we uh, fix our parole board because right now they have absolute discretion. They can plot for nature of crime, something that's never going to go away. So it don't matter how much you've rehabilitated. It doesn't matter how many classes you've took. They tell you it doesn't outweigh the nature of crime. So y'all tell me, what does? What makes somebody suitable for parole? And juveniles are serving the longest time because they've been in since kids. They're still not getting out until they're 60, 70 years old. It's sick. I think we can all agree on that. It is a sick society looking at our prison systems. Uh, And not only those who maneuver and manipulate the prison systems, but those who watch silently saying nothing. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, ohiocheckbook.gov, at the top it says your your, uh, transparency at your fingertips. If you go to state state government salaries, um, and then it, it divides them by, you know, government, each government. DRC sits at the top, okay, are at like $800 billion, right? Our teachers are at $70 million. That's the problem. How has nobody ever seen this? When we're only paying our teachers $70 million, they're not willing to go above and beyond to teach our kids. They're just there to do a job. But if they go work at a prison to babysit incarcerated people and, and keep them enslaved, right, slave catchers, they can make 30 to $40. It's sick. Annette Chambers is making $87 an hour to do absolutely nothing. And we taxpayers aren't saying enough. We're not saying anything. And I can't be the only one exposing this stuff. And I did notice over the last year or so they did – um, add that checkbook.gov link to their ODRC mm-hmm. website, probably because, again, I was speaking too much on it, and it was just no one knew about it. When I'm telling CEOs at my husband's prison how much they're making, they're looking at me like I'm fucking crazy. Like, wait, how do you know that? It's public information. What do you mean? Right. Nobody knows. Time I was in okay. Ohio, I uh, was on part of a panel discussion with some pretty important people. And during that, I exposed how much Ohio was paying to incarcerate their juveniles then. When I was there, it was $202,000 a year. And that was all mind-blowing to everybody there because they had no idea. When you're spending $202,000 to incarcerate a child, that's not a cost. That's an incentive. It's a bounty on their heads. For every one you get, it's worth $200,000. So what's in your best interest to get as many as possible? And that's where the racism and the classism comes into play, where you end up having these three or four counties providing 60%, 70% of your prisoners uh, because you'd rather get it from minorities. You'd rather take those bodies from traditionally oppressed groups, and you go hunting there. You criminalize their lives, mm-hmm. you take away job opportunities, and you provide no alternatives. Like you just said earlier, there's nothing for them to do. And then you just let crime do what it does and addiction do what it does and alcohol and drugs and all these things just keep a perpetual state of poverty and criminality. So you can continually hunt people for freaking profit. Mm -hmm. Amen. Come back with you, Sam. It's 
Yes. It's sickening how many people just don't realize until they're affected. But um, Dr. Phil actually just did a show. I was actually invited to the Dr. Phil show by um, the women that I'm actually told you I would try to. I was trying to get on board with the whole uh, abolition thing in Florida. Uh, they were invited to the Dr. Phil. They reached out to me, wanted me to join, but due to COVID precautions, all that stuff, I was unable to make it myself. But in the beginning of this production, it was about abuse in women's prisons. Um, he had stated, like, you know. We're, today we're going to talk about those that were are less thought about. And honestly, we should be thinking about them more because I think you said like one in eight people are affected by incarceration. Even if you aren't personally, your neighbor, your friend, your cut, somebody is, right? And that we need to start paying more attention because we are footing the bill. And I was just like, okay, and I've never been a Dr. Fields fan. Just let me throw that out there. But I have noticed recently he is getting a lot into the the criminal justice aspect of everything, and I've heard he's even got a team just for criminal justice. But I was just thankful for the way, you know, because that's what we need. We need them to be putting the right information out, right, because we know for media has been putting the wrong information out for so long that now we're stuck having to um, bring the truth out. Um, and, you know, it, times are changing. Like, even the media here in Ohio, like, they're so much more reporting on the prisons and, you know, exposing the parole board and this, that, and the other. So much more now, and the abuse in Cuyahoga County Jail, more so now than they ever have. Um, that was something we should have probably talked about, too, is, like, the abuse in the prisons. If you search Cuyahoga County Jail, it's disgusting how many people have been charged, COs have been charged with abuse, um, contraband. Uh, how many inmates have passed away due to overdoses. And you, listen, you can't, us, we cannot get no drugs into Cuyahoga County Jail. The only way they're getting it is through the staff, period. You're and how are we having overdoses? Violations. Eighth Amendment violations, right. cruel and unusual punishment, even before you've been convicted of a crime. You're talking about in a jail. Before, uh, county jail. Right. Yes. Um, horrible yes. conditions. I have and evidence jail. of 143 individuals who are that were sitting in Cuyahoga County, County Jail recently past their release date. Some of them a month and a half past their release date. And the problem was is that they were understaffed and didn't have nobody to keep up on it. Are you kidding me right now? They should be next, paid for every day you made them sit there extra. Absolutely. Uh, next week, I think it is, it's March 6th. Our guest is Dr. Stewart, who's been on the show briefly before, but he's been sitting in Rikers Island prison now for over three years waiting to get his case. Whew. Over three years wow. in this hellhole on earth, uh, going through what they call uh, bullpen therapy, trying to force him into a Yeah, one of the worst prisons in the United States. Right. Mm-hmm. He's our guest next week, so he'll tell us about that. I, I believe he has a hearing like Tuesday or Wednesday. Uh, let's hope it goes well for him. But I, I want to oh, talk about so, the ripple effects. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Yusuf. Yeah, I was just going to say, and I'll be brief. Uh, I was doing some research while you two were uh, having dialogue. So Ohio imprisons 567 people per 100,000 residents, which is 15th most in the country, while spending $181 for every resident of the state to do so. And so I – ran the numbers on that and that comes out to two point eight two billion dollars. Damn. Hmm. Damn two hundred dollars per person. And our kids are failing. Our schools are failing. Like really? And they're talking about building a new Cuyahoga County jail, y'all. It's a huge industry. Yeah. Well, yeah, because they have 
So here are their industries. So they have construction and asbestos abatement. Uh, they make corrugated containers. They have dental lab services, or ergonomic products, flags and patches, hay bales, heavy-duty vehicle modification, uh, janitorial products, meat processing career center, moving services, outdoor furniture, toilet paper, recycling and compost, print services, PPE manufacturing, trash bags, and they have a vehicle service center. So the prison industry is huge in Ohio. Right. Absolutely. I mean, most of the furniture inside the state house was built by prisoners. Let's be real. <laughs> I make sure I point that out every time I come in there. Like, I wonder. Re- and another big thing, um, recently I um, – because, you know, there is no there is no holdback for me. I, I will just straight say how it is. I was on Instagram on our Epic account, and I had seen that a state uh, state representative actually had visited London prison, or it was Lebanon prison. It was Lebanon prison. Um, Lebanon prison is, uh, that's where they create our license plates. You know, mm-hmm. these license plates that cost us as citizens $100, and they're only being paid pennies on the dollars to make, right? She, like, took a picture of all these license plates on their wall, and I commented on there, like, listen, I understand, like, that to you is, like, fascinating. I said, but let's be real. How much were those people paid? And how much is it costing us as Ohioans to keep those up to date every year, right? And she's like, look, this was my first time in a prison. I'm still taking things in. She's like, I'm open for a Zoom call this, that, and the other, we set up a Zoom call, and she was like, I still haven't processed everything. I'm going to, she's like, I was waiting until I met with you to be more informed, you know, from an advocate standpoint of, like, what's really going on inside the prisons, because I've seen a lot. And she said certain areas that she wasn't allowed to go see, this, that, and the other. And I said, it is your job to ins- to make sure that something happens inside this, these prison systems. Like, as a, a legislator, we need you. And it was just crazy to me, because it. she was like, had I known, like, what they really made and, you know, that they – this was, like, forced labor. And, like, she was unaware, even the 13th Amendment, unaware of it, had heard something was going on with it inside of her offices, right, but was unaware. This is so, so it's just – it's sick that they're just – they're just – they're blind. They're blinded to it, or they're just – they know, and they're just – you know, it's even worse. Silence is violence, Right. So if you know and you're being silent about it, that's violence, period. I think that the unions in Ohio should be behind you because a lot of that work could be done by people on the outside. The minimum wage in Ohio is $8.70 an hour. And right now they're using prison labor, for instance, to sort through uh, the basically the trash to separate the recyclable materials at $1.10 an hour. So they're basically getting – their labor 90% cheaper than they would get it on the outside, uh, which is right. something that the union should be very interested in. Uh, there come a time at some point where all your labor will be in prison if you let them do what they're doing right now. I, I want to talk about And that's the thing, Max. Sense. We know, like, even across the states, when they're given these opportunities, quote, unquote, that's what they think they are, when they're given these jobs on the inside, when they come home, they're not qualified to even – take on these careers out here. You know what I mean? Like even in California, they're out there having guys fight fires. When they get out of prison, they're not being offered to be a firefighter. You know what I'm saying? Because they're a felon. They can't. 
Like, it makes no sense to me. Like, how they can be so good on the inside to do these jobs for you, but once they come home, they're nothing but criminals and felons. I had a guy here um, in Ohio who was um, in a um, mental a mental block where, you know, people have issues. They're cutting themselves. They, you know, they're just not coping, blah, blah. He was set in there as, like, a mentor, went up for parole, and was told he was not fit for society. What do you mean? He's been in this block for three years doing your guys' job, maintaining these people with, you know, mental issues, and he's just a normal damn person like us. We wouldn't know what to do with somebody if you put, you know what I'm saying? We wouldn't know. But you're going to say mm-hmm. he's a, a menace to society, but yet he's doing like like I couldn't imagine, right? You should be paying him top dollar. And he did. He got flopped eight years. Luckily, we did get him a rehearing because he had over 20 um, staff inputs, which was something that our new lovely prison director put in a phase of um, trying to reconstruct the parole board. Um, she was taking input from ODRC members on, on behalf of people's releases, right? He had 20 people, even the warden, say that he was fit for society, and they still flopped him eight years. We found out that they didn't even open the staff input at all, which was something that Annette Chambers was supposed to be implementing. So they're not, this is the thing, they're not even following their own rules and regulations. This is why we need state legislators to step in. Right. We need them. Until they do, Ohio's prison system is doomed because they're never going to follow their own policies and procedures. We see that all the time. We actually have a lawsuit. Um, I on Ohio, it's an investigation. They, like, do, like, investigating things on, like, um, politics, state governments, yada, yada, whatever. Um, they are actually filed this lawsuit. Um, it was against the Ohio Parole Board. We requested specific um, minutes, decisions, and candidate sheets from past parole hearings. They told us we were overly broad. Then we re- requested um, upcoming who's going for parole within the next three months. Can we get a list of inmates that are going up for parole within the next three months? They told they sent back the prisons and how many numbers of parole hearings they have at each prison and told them that they didn't have individual names, that this is all they had for them. So you mean to tell me that when you're preparing for a parole hearing, you don't even know who you're going to see that day? You just know how many numbers you're going to go see? Uh. So, I mean, oh. this is the stuff that people fail to realize that it's just, it's, it's sick. It's sad. It's intentional. It's 100% intentional. And uh, Well, we know that. It's what I, I want to reference <laughs> in regards to ripple effects. We know that the first time we ever saw an exception clause was in the state constitution for Vermont. But the second time we saw it was in Ohio. Ohio started theirs in 1806 in their state constitution section 2. Let me read it to you so you can see what kind of intention I mean. It says, there shall be neither slavery nor involuntary servitude in this state, comma, otherwise than for the punishment of crimes, comma. Now that's wrong right there. That is a violation of international treaties right there. That is saying there's an exception to slavery and this is how you can do it for punishment of a crime. What kind of crime? Who gives a damn as long as we get slaves, right? right? They've got much more to it. They said, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, nor shall any male person arriving at the age of 21 years or female person arriving at the age of 18 years be held to serve any person as a servant under the pretense of indenture or otherwise, unless 
the second time they use the nonetheless, right? Otherwise, it's mm-hmm. such persons shall enter into such indenture while in a state of perfect freedom, whatever the hell that is. And on a condition yeah. of a bona fide consideration, received or to be received for their service, except it's the third time they've added one. And they're, they're the second state, right? Uh. Except as before expected. Nor shall any indentured of any Negro or mulatto hereafter made and executed out of the state, if made in the state, wherein the terms of service exceed one year, be of the least validity, except four times. Those <laughs> four times. Oh, my God. Four damn times they use the exceptions in there about things they were supposed to be getting rid of. Mm. So that's your state constitution. Mm. <laughs> and now you know oh, we, wow. we better wake up. <laughs> now you know why we want to. We better challenge. wake up. No, we definitely so, are going to change it, man. Because we gonna get it done. And the history of Ohio and the abolitionist movement is pretty amazing. I've been there a few times to specific locations like Stone Academy, and uh, people. Once you got to Ohio, that was like the freedom point. Many people viewed it as right. Uh, and look at right. it. Today. Well, that's Across you that know what, and that's River. what Coley said. Coley said during the um, last General Assembly hearing, he said that, remember, he said um, we, we we were the ones that were in World War Three, and we were the ones that freed them and let them come here and this, that, and the other. But it's like, then define the 13th Amendment how it reads right now then. Hmm. Right. Exactly. Re- read your own state constitution. That is mind-blowing. Four exceptions? <laughs> wow. And he said Ohio was not a slave state. We are. I mean, we are like one of the top ten of the most overpopulated prison industrial complexes there is in the United States. Right. Yes. And the problem with Thanks. Ohio is, is each prison is ran by their warden, like the, it's their kingdom. We're under one penal system here in Ohio, or the United States, period. But Ohio is its state in itself. But each prison's ran differently. Each level four is ran different than the next level four. Level threes are ran different than the next level threes. You know how Sam was in his poem, he he emphasized that, right? But not Uh, here uh in Ohio, not here in Ohio, the prison's ran by how the, how the, how the warden wants to run it, period. Whereas I feel all level three should be treated the same. All level two should be given the same obligations and privileges, you know, as each level. But it's not like that, and it's so crazy. Because like I said, my husband's going from a level three to a level two, and I'm like wondering, like, how much more privileges are we really going to get? It's all part you know? of a larger crime against humanity. This is the state that kills one in 11 innocent people in their death penalties. Mm. You know? They're Actually, I have a really great capable. friend. W.T. Yeah. Montgomery is, he was on death row. Uh, Kasich, our past governor, granted him a stay. Um, he's still fighting his case. Uh, the the mm-hmm. slogan in his case is too much doubt. Too much doubt. There's a whole lot of Montgomery. Doubt. Okay, I just pulled up well, an article about that, and I'll make sure we get it up on our page. I want to give people a chance, if you have a question or comment, to go ahead and ask uh, it. You can call us at 515-605-9814. Put open the phone lines for a few minutes. If you're already on the line, just press the number one on your keypad to let us know that you want to join the conversation. Um, so we'll do that. We'll talk a few more minutes, and if no one calls, we'll go into one more music break, 
And then when we come back after that, we want to give you an opportunity to wrap it up and, you know, sit, sit, send people wherever you want to send them and let them know what you need in Ohio uh, before we okay. finish our final segments. Time flies, doesn't it? It sure does. Amen to that. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, you know, it's it's been a hell of a fight, and uh, Ohio is leading the way in both ends of this, both as a slave state and as one fighting for freedom. And we're on the side that's fighting for freedom. And we need all the help that we can get. We've got a brand new website set up at the Abolish Slavery National Network. Go to abolishslavery.us. We've got all kinds of resources and information available for you there now. We've got an interactive map so you can go across every state in the country and see exactly what their position is in the abolitionist movement, what their uh, state constitution says. Uh, it's just so much that you can get involved with now that the new website. Um, so check that out. All right. So I don't see any hands up and no calls coming in. So Yusuf, did you have any questions before we get into the next track? No, because I, 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 I want us to uh, review that track. And we're short on <laughs> right. time, so yeah, let's get into it. All right. Um, so the next track is uh, a mix, of course, of yours truly, me, while I was out there at a panel discussion. And I believe it was 2018 with you out there, was it? Was it 18, Yusuf? I lose track of time. I don't know if it was 16, 17, 18. <laughs> yeah, Yusuf and I were out there uh, raising hell and abolitionists. Uh, and I had a few words to say. So it's worth sharing today. And that's going to be followed by Fight the Power, the Isley Brothers, more from Ohio. You're listening to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org, with Max Parthas and Yusuf Hassan and our guest today, Gina Kenny. We'll be right back after this. Let's give another hand for Mr. Max Parker. Thank you very much. Uh, really an honor to be here. I want to thank everybody who put this event together and allow these voices to be heard. Uh, as you said, I'm Max Parker's co-host. Abolition. Abolition. And I want to make a few things clear and I'll tell you a little bit about myself and what we're trying to do. Uh, first of all, I'm a slavery abolitionist. I'm not a prison abolitionist. I'm not a conformist. I'm a slavery abolitionist. There is no doubt in my mind what I'm dealing with. I'm not talking about metaphors. I'm not talking about white be like slavery. I'm not talking about economic slavery. I'm not talking about mental slavery. I'm not talking about your nine to five corporate job where you like a slave. I'm talking about the kind of slavery that existed pre-1865, where people were hunted in the street, captured, sometimes killed along the way, and then put into a cell where their body being in the cell or on the plantation by itself earned people money, and then their labor was forced, and they, they would work for free for hours on end. That's the kind of slavery I'm talking about. Okay? And oftentimes we use the word slavery so loosely that we forget what it really means. There's another thing that I want to be clear on, and the final part of what I said, slavery abolitionist, is I'm an abolitionist. I believe that this is a crime against humanity. And you cannot perform a crime against humanity. You can't perform genocide, you can't perform rape, you can't perform murder, but 
are trying to form slavery. So we are dealing with what is called cognitive dissonance and often cognitive dissonance. When you hold two contrary thoughts in your mind at the same time, we're talking about how the land of the free, but we've got the largest prison population in the history of humanity on planet Earth right here. We're also talking as free people here in Ohio right now. But there's 14 million people that go through our jail systems every year, and 2.4 million people who are going in and out of all prison systems every year. I'm 
So you just heard Max's speech when we were in Ohio, and this was during the viewing of Ava DuVernay's 13th documentary. And I was so glad when Max got up and said something at that time because, (laughs) as you heard him saying, everybody kept calling it everything except slavery. And then that was followed up by fight the power by the Isley brothers. And I know my mother probably got up off the couch and started doing the hustle to that. (laughs) So, uh, Gianna, (laughs) I did it again. I did it again. Gina. Oh, Gianna Kennedy. We messed up both names. (laughs) Gina. You know, what's funny because I have a friend with the same exact spelling without the apostrophe and her name is Gianna, you know, but, and then it wasn't until like, you know, an hour ago that I found out that your name is Gina. It was pronounced Gina. But anyway, uh, I'd like to hear uh, your feedback on that. Say that one more time. Sorry. My son, oh, I just sorry. took my son out from work. On what yeah, you just okay. heard. Uh, on what you just feedback heard. Feedback on the song? Yeah. Honestly, on I was Max, in the middle Max of said. talking to someone from my son's work about what we are talking about today, and he was like, that is awesome. I really like your son. Keep up the great work. <laughs> <laughs> so, honestly, I didn't well, get to listen to all of it besides the ending, and my son got in the car, and we were jamming. <laughs> Well, it's all good. I, I just let the people know exactly what I represent. I'm not coming in here talking about all of these different synonyms and metaphors that they use. I was talking about real slavery in Ohio um, and, uh, you know, making it clear that I'm a slavery abolitionist and the difference, you know, and I mentioned that we tend to talk about slavery when we don't even know the definition of it, really. And uh, that is a big problem. Right. So we well, are I mean, we know I've kind of been exposed for that. I have no, I've been told from other Ohioans that I have no business in this fight because I'm white. But I, I feel like it, it doesn't matter if you're white, black, purple, Puerto Rican, whatever. What's right is right, and you got to fight for it. Period. So. Oh, well, William Lloyd Garrison was white too. Fight the power. <laughs> you know, there's a lot right. of white that was one of the things that people said they really admired the most about yesterday's event was that we covered everything. There was people of all uh, ethnicities, religions, uh, different uh, mm-hmm. levels of society. They were all there together on this issue. Freedom is a universal concept. <laughs> you know, don't think that you right. can have slaves around you and it won't reach you eventually because it will. Um, as a matter of right. fact, uh, it's so interconnected that I spoke or I'm in communication with Professor Joel Clerk, uh, Quirk out of uh, Berg, South Africa. He's the co-author of the Bellagio Harvard Guidelines on Slavery, which is the definition of slavery that we use in the abolition abolitionist movement. He'll be on our program at some point in the near future. Even as far away as where he's at in South Africa, they're dealing with what we created here in the United States, what Ohio was the second state with four exceptions to accomplish putting into effect, which is prison for profit. Uh, In Mm -hmm. South Africa, G4S is the country's biggest private employer with 15,000 people on its payroll, and that's a prison company. And it works out of 90 countries that employs over 570,000 people globally. They've got private prisons in South Africa as well as the U.K., Australia, and other private facilities elsewhere, including in the U.S. and in Palestine territories. So this American company, right out of the heart of USA, 
is now running prisoners even in Palestinian territories, uh, the largest mm. employer across Africa. Uh, also, they got two maximum security prisons, C-Max in Pretoria, Ibangwini uh, in uh, Kostad, and the second one is considered to be the biggest supermax prison in the world with 1,440 uh, places. And the prison system also includes two privately run prisons, uh, the Katuma Sintamu Correction Center, and it's run by the American private corrections company Geo Group. And the Mangong okay. Correction Center is run by the British security company G4S. And we've told you before that G4S and the Geo Group are linked financially. They, the Geo Group owns many shares of G4S. At one point, they were pretty much the same company. So this is one American company that has taken over the whole damn world using slavery. Mm. Biggest U.S. import. And now that we know, we must do something export, about it. Export. That's right. Once you know, you're responsible for what you know. You can act like you don't know no more, uh, and that's willful ignorance. You can fight cognitive dissonance. Hopefully you'll win, and instead of mm-hmm. telling lies, you'll live in truth. Or you could fight like we are doing, and it doesn't take a lot. Need some bravery. I mean, this Amen. mother of three right here today who is told that she's not even supposed to be in the fight because she's a little five-foot-one-inch white woman is out here <laughs> kicking ass and taking names and nearly single-handedly leading the way to end slavery in the state. And I just shared a post to say, it said, all them bricks you're throwing at me, here I am stepping on every single one of them. Just going <laughs> to get me to the top, so keep throwing them, y'all. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Mm. I appreciate you, Max, for real. Participating. You know, you need right. help right now because you're fighting for, for not sure. just you. You're fighting for all of them, whether they like it or not. And we all agree, so we've got to end. And this is already in place, so help her. Mm. You can tell her you hate her after you end slavery man. together. Amen, <laughs> you know? sir. Right, exactly. We well, should at least start by no, telling me before you tell everybody else. That'd be the main <laughs> step, right? And then maybe we could work things out and figure it out and go from there. <laughs> <laughs> Amen to that. All it's right, well, crazy. It's crazy. We are coming up on the end of the program, so I want to take this time to give you to say whatever you want to say. Please let them know how they can help you in Ohio again, what websites to go to. And if you got some money, send her some money. This is not an yeah, easy tell them how to donate. effort. All righty. Our website is www.epicxteam.org. Our email is epicxteam.org team 2020 at gmail.com um you can find us on facebook at epic in ohio uh same thing with twitter same thing with instagram uh you can cash app us it's at epic in ohio basically everything is epic in ohio whatever symbol they use whatever hashtag they use it's epic in ohio i try to keep everything as simple as possible um, please, if you have anything to donate, uh, believe me, it will go far, far, far away. Uh, we are in this fight until we have some type of solution. Uh, we know nothing's ever going to be perfect, so obviously we're not going anywhere until Gina's last for us. Um, but please, if you can help us, if you can support us, um, especially like sharing our content, um, even if you can't donate, sharing our content goes a long way. You never know who you're going to impact. And if you can impact one person a day, imagine how many more people well, you can impact throughout a lifetime. That's right. 
Well, it's certainly been a pleasure having you here, Gina, and we are going to continue it, it to really work together. Been. Mm-hmm. And look forward to speaking with you here on Abolition Today again. Uh, I just want to say thank you, and I also want to thank our audience and listeners who continually support us um, and uh, make sure that we keep going here week after week. Uh, we will see you on March the 6th with the next program we have, and that'll be with Dr. Stewart out of Rikers Island, who was uh, on the program a few weeks ago with Tag Harmon. Uh, this time we're going to give him more time to speak. He'll have a trial before that. Hopefully he's a free man. But if not, that means he's going up in the four years without a trial in Rikers Island. God right, bless his soul. It'll be a powerful show, y'all. Tune, tune in. And don't forget to share this one for sure. And I appreciate you both for having me as your guys' guest. It was definitely an honor and a pleasure. You already know anything you need from me, I'm there. Amen. All right. Thank, Thank you. you so we really much, appreciate Gina. that. For sure. So you. So All right, I'm, I'm going to hop off, to... you guys. You guys have a great night. And then I'll let you guys finish your Wait, last well, closing hold, hold um, segment. Hold oh, okay. You, I'm holding. You, you, Go ahead. You want to hear this? This is one of the best. Yeah. Okay, I ain't going nowhere. Okay, let's go. You, you made it this far. Might as well finish this off, right? Finish it off. There's right. only a couple of minutes left. So, all right. Uh, all right. Getting to our, our closing comments. Uh, our sponsors, I want to thank our sponsors and partners Jailhouse Lawyers Speak, I Am We Ubuntu Prison Advocacy Network, Samer Urge, Quakers Uplifting Racial Justice. The Paul Coffee Abolitionist Center, Prismatic Dreams, and the Abolished Slavery National Network. Remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's youtube.com forward slash abolition today for all the for all the news, information, and music you hear on this program. Abolition Today is also available on all major podcast platforms. Remember to join the movement at abolishslavery.us to become part of the solution. You can also text end the exception, all one word, no spaces, end the exception to 52886 and follow the prompts. This will send a signed petition on your behalf to your congressional reps in support of the proposed 28th Amendment to repeal and replace the exception clause to the 13th Amendment. We're getting into our favorite segment of the evening, Bridging the Gap. Tonight we have something very special we have a speech by Daniel A. Payne, and it's going to be read by our comrade Nine Elements, and this is going to be followed up by Eden Inspirations, Sound of Freedom, featuring Lizzie Ladigan. We'll be back next Sunday, uh, next Sunday, March 6th, with uh, Dr. I forgot his name already, Max. I'm sorry. Dr. Stewart. <laughs> yes, Dr. Do- Stewart with the... And we're going to hear that entire story. He's going to give us an update from the last time he was on the show. I'm going to hear a lot of feedback from my mom tonight because I kept messing up Gina's name, and then I just messed up again, so she's going to really let me hear that. But anyway, uh, thank you all for tuning in. Thank you to our wonderful guest, uh, Gina Kenny. Uh, thank you to all of our listeners, to those listening in the Clubhouse uh, app in Abolition Today. Whether you're listening online, listening on your phone, make sure you tune in next week, March 6th. So until next week, think about abolition today. Peace and blessings be upon you all. Abolition. Abolition. A speech by abolitionist Daniel A. Payne, April 30th, 1839, published in The Liberator. 
Black Abolitionist Archives, document number 4183, read by Nine Elements. Reverend Daniel A. Payne of Troy next addressed the convention. He said that he had lately had a conversation with three ministers of the gospel, one of whom preached in Mississippi, and another was a planter within 50 miles of New Orleans. They were speaking of a church in Charleston, South Carolina, which had recently given $3,000 to the missionary cause, and that they had stated General Hamilton, ex-Senator Hayne, and Judge Colcock were leading spirits in that church and exerted the most powerful influence of many men in it. Now, if it was a fact that northern churches had received the large contributions of such men, knowing them to be slaveholders and justifiers of slaveholding, that fact ought to be exposed. Let the light shine and let all information which had a bearing on the subject be freely given. It was well known that the large contributions of slaveholding churches to purposes of Christian benevolence were urged by many as proofs of their piety. When Mr. Payne had first entered the ministry, he inquired whether the churches in Charleston were esteemed very pious. His informant could not tell, but observed that they gave more to the mission fund than almost any others. He insisted that it was the duty of churches to bear an open and explicit testimony against slavery and all who uphold it. Let the voice be heard loud as the thunders of heaven in denunciation of so foul an iniquity. So long as they kept silence, the infidel understood it a virtual declaration that Christianity approved of slavery, or at least treated it with toleration. Mr. Payne related a dispute which he had had with certain Southern ministers who urged many arguments against abolition and supported their objections by quotations from the Bible. An infidel who was present had attentively listened to the conversation and made at his close this remark. There is more in the Bible to sanction slavery than in the heart of any honest man. Their apologies for slavery went like a dagger into the very heart of Bible religion. Shame for the churches and for the professed ambassadors of Christ when an infidel can find more in the heart of an honest man more to condemn the evils of slavery than they will find in the Bible. In a conversation with an abolitionist residing in Pittsburgh who was an unbeliever in Christ, that gentleman had freely admitted that the Bible contained a purer and more sublime system of morals than the world had ever seen, but said that professed Christians had corrupted the simplicity of his precepts and in proof quoted a Reverend D.D. in Pittsburgh whose ruling elder, a man of overwhelming influence in the church, owned numbers of slaves in the South, and yet his pastor dared not rebuke him for his sin. He dared not open his lips for the slave, lest he should give offense to this rich slave-holding elder. Nor did the man stop there, but charged the whole church at large with holding sentiments of slavery. He said he was a Jew, and when the Christians brought such a charge against Moses as that he sanctioned slavery, he hurled it back with indignation. Never could a sanction be found in anything that the Jewish lawgiver had done or written for such a system of cruelty and oppression as that of American slavery. Thus was the Christian church rebuked, and justly, by a Jew. It was liable to say that Christianity sanctioned slavery. It frowned upon it with indignation. Though professed Christians could apologize for and even defend it, and the world then judged of religion by its professors. Mr. Payne mentioned to this Israelite the case of Frankian Synod, who had resolved not to suffer a slaveholding minister within his bounds, nor one who would apologize for slavery. The man's eyes glistened with joy. From this case, it might be seen that if the churches would come out honestly and boldly and not leave slaveholding a hiding place, nor rest till the monster had breathed its last gasp, then would the religion of the Son of God stand in the pure light of her own native heaven, and no man would be so presumptuous as to say that she sanctioned the most foul and abominable filth that the nostrils of men ever smelt. April 30th, 1839, Daniel A. Payne, 
published in The Liberator. Black Abolitionist Archives, document number Children are not for sale. No. 
Abolition. 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 Abolition.